Welcome to the Dyslexia's Our Superpower podcast with Gibby Booth, where we hear from fellow dyslexians looking at the positives dyslexia has to offer and the many ways to succeed as a person with dyslexia. Hello and welcome back. I'm Gibby Booth and today I'm talking with Steve McHugh, a dyslexic inclusion specialist and social entrepreneur. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Gibby. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing today? Um, excellent. Thank you very much. <laughs> Enjoying the September sun, blimey. Oh, excellent. It's super hot here. Is it? Is it hot there or not? Too well, I wouldn't say it was hot. Scotland's never hot. Okay. <laughs> okay. That sounds pretty awesome. It's quite warm today here. So let's dive in and let's kind of start at the beginning and talk to me about schools, you know, young when you were quite young. And um, you said that you liked school as a young kid. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, primary school, I kind of, there was a number of things. I think at primary school, there, was, there wasn't the pressure of having to take tests all the time. And, mm -hmm. so, and there was a lot of um, stuff around doing things that were creative, like, you know, I could do music, I could do singing and um, art, as well as doing the literacy stuff. And okay, fair enough, I didn't do so well at the literacy stuff. My, my handwriting kind of never improved. <laughs> um, it, you know, I can't do cursive. I can't do joined up. I've never been able to do it. And I can't write, if I write very quickly, you know, it just looks like a Martian's come down and massacred all the spiders in a field. <laughs> like, you know, they're just all these things lying about that have been massacred. It's, you know, it's terrible. Um, and also I think, um, my home life, um, it was, was a bit of a train wreck. My mum and dad's but things going on with my mum and dad, you know, their marriage wasn't too good. My dad was, um, I'm not sure if I should say this, my dad was an alcoholic and a gambler. And, uh, you know, so school was, was a place to go to escape from. Um, mm -hmm. A funny uh, kind of story, I think one day my mum tried to keep me off school because my trousers to go to school had a hole in them. I said, you can't go to school. And I loved it so much. I climbed down the drain pipe and we lived oh. up on the second floor of a block of flats. <laughs> I climbed down and ran off to school with, with my holy trousers on, which mortified my mum. But, you know, I, I, I just really liked school. Primary school, I really, I really liked it. And, you know, and I had lots of friends and all that kind of stuff. Then when I kind of got to secondary school, the handwriting thing kind of took more and more, it took more, you know, impacted on me doing work, uh, you know, trying to do work for exams and stuff. Although I was a, I felt I was a pretty good reader and I was reading quite, you know, science fiction, Bradbury, Asimov, Wells, you know, uh, at the time when you when I was reading, I knew I was missing lines and bits okay. of paragraphs, but I just thought that's the way it was. <laughs> you know, I just thought that's the way it was. Nobody was, you know, and that was, I think that was another thing that, you know, sort of, if somebody had been pressuring me to say, this is, you're doing this wrong and kept going on at me all the time, you know, I think about the, the issues I was having with my reading, then maybe it would have switched me off mm. from reading education. And I think if you, if you kind of, and it was, even with that, by the time I got to 14, school just wasn't relevant. I didn't think it was relevant to me, but I, it was also this idea that, um, I needed I, I needed to do something to make my feel, myself feel more secure. So you know I went out and I, I stopped. I didn't. I basically stopped going to school. I was going to do art and I was going to do music, and I, for some reason I'd do commerce. I had no idea why because I've got no, I've got no, I've got no. When it comes to numbers and and stuff, I've got no. Uh, I'm not very adept at all those. But I went into commerce because I, I liked it. Um, but all the other classes I kind of skipped and I did things like I went and did work for friends as a tree surgeon. I went and did a milk round and it was all about just trying to, for me, it was just about feeling so I had some money and I, you know, if things weren't going too good at home, I could go out and, you know, and go and explore. I used to travel on buses a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, go down to Heathrow Airport, and it was just a way of getting away from the house and and having that work, kind of, um, and bring that all that money in for me to do that. So yeah, so I think school for me was the safe place as yeah. well. So that was that was the the one thing I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel like I was being pressured. Um, I I you know I had lots of fun. 
Um, but then in the primary and then in secondary, that's kind of when the longer it got on, the, the worse. You know, I couldn't pass an exam. I couldn't write fast enough. I couldn't write legibly enough. Yeah. And so I didn't even, you know, I took exam, but I don't know if I passed them. I never, when, when, the, when the envelope came, I hid it. I threw it away. You know, <laughs> I, I, so I guess I think one by the time I was 14, I just didn't think I had any academic ability. Mm. You know, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to, it's not, it's not, it's not going to do me any good. Cause you know, sitting in the classroom, um, trying to do stuff that I knew that I wasn't, not that I wasn't interested in, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to do very well. So, you know, the, 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 the reading was a problem. It just took me longer. The writing just took me an age and the spelling, you know, my spelling was, you know, really bizarre at that time. You know, <laughs> I can't do phonetics. It just, when the little one comes home, she's eight and she was learning to read. She was coming home with all these phonetic spellings and it might as well have been Martian because I just couldn't get it together, you know, because what, how she was, you know, that was how she was being taught at school. You know, and for me, it just, I, know, I, couldn't, I couldn't get the phonetic thing. So I have a visual... I have a visual memory. That's how I, I remember how words look. And okay. that's, how, that's how I remember. Yeah. Is so, that okay? Yeah, that's perfect. It's great. So at 14, that's sort of when you decided, look, hey, school's really not doing anything for me. I'm going to stop. And that's when you went more into doing odd jobs and things yeah yeah I w it's not it's not a career move i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't advise everybody else to do it but for <laughs> me at that time that's that's basically that that's you know and but and had my parents maybe been more at home in terms of being doing what parents do then <laughs> they would have sent me back to school but because i could just i could just go to school because i had to wear a uniform and all I needed to do to get sent back home was not wear a tie or wear a pair of red jeans or whatever. And then they'd say, go on, bugger off home, Steve. You can't come into school looking like that. And so I'd go home and um, I'd, I'd sneak in to the, through the window and I'd watch children's television. <laughs> you know, that's, I even, I'd even go and visit my school, my fr other friends in different schools. You know, so... There was a school over the back of me. I used to go in there and just see my friends in there. And I was the new boy at that school. Like I pretend to be the new boy, like, you know, <laughs> stupid, you know, but there you go. So talk to me. So after, you know, you sort of decided that school wasn't your thing and you weren't going to go, yeah. you started doing some, you know, random jobs and things. And then talk to me about what happened when you would start to get promoted to office work in those well, in those after I was 16, I was able to work legally. Yep. Yeah, so I got a number of different jobs. Mainly were, were mainly manual jobs. I work in builders' yards, um, lumping cement around, loading lorries, doing very heavy duty manual work. Okay. And, and generally, I'd be very good with talking to the customers. Generally, I'd be very good with, with, with selling things. And, you know, it wasn't, there was no kind of, there was no kind of, um, money involved but i could just say you know what about this as an option what about that as an option you come here you want to you want to build this um arboretum maybe you could build this arboretum arboretum in this way using this material one of the strength one of the things that i found that i'm good at is i've got i'm full of ideas so i, I can i can i can think i can see things and provide options and then so what happened was that people in the in the office, he would say, "Come in and work in the office and work on the phones and and do sales work." And where it was still fine doing it doing it on the phone, but when it you know trying to cope with writing notes while you're making a phone call and trying to cope with filling out reams and reams of forms, which were little boxes, which you know which are a complete anathema to me. I can't use, I can't do little boxes. I can't do it. It just, especially <laughs> handwriting. I just can't do it. My handwriting won't do it. And, um, and it was, you know, really kind of, really kind of stressful. And, and it was pretty obvious after I'd been, after I'd been doing it for a little while that that, you know, this wasn't really for me. So either I would just leave and go and get a job elsewhere doing the same thing I'd been doing, or, um, they sort of said, well, you go back into the yard and, do what you were doing well, basically. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so it was a bit of a that you know. But you see that I think one of the issues that one of the it's the good things about me is I'm I've always been very positive. I always try to be positive, you know, and I, and I try I try not to let um, life's hurdles get me down, you know. So so I managed to I managed to kind of earn a living but at the same time i was i was getting into music and um i met some guys who'd all been to university and i was not definitely not a university type thing and we did loads of weird things with music which kind of opened up a whole new career path for me and um i found music i was good at and with these guys, it was it was a start of me getting into music. I mean, we were we were probably the worst band ever. I mean, we were really really terrible. I mean, we would we would we would play in really really heavy. We would we would play the opening bars of Smoke on the Water, and we'd do that for hours. And we'd all do little solos like in between, and for hours that's all we did, you know. Um, but it was our little. Our little, um, our little, you know, we had this, We, uh, one of the guys in the band, his dad worked in a school and he let us use this, this underground school keeping heating room and we built a studio in the underground school heating room and, uh, you know, we'd spend, you know, loads and loads of time time in there just jamming. We could really be loud, really be noisy and, you know, and it kind of, from there, uh, I went and did live stuff and worked with other musicians and for maybe about 10 years I, I i kind of did a lot of touring and i did i i went around with the peace convoy in 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 the uk you might not know who they are but no, I do, yeah that's great okay i do i do the festivals like glastonbury and stonehenge and vines cross and i kind of and that kind of became my life for a while you know so and um, it was pretty crazy. I loved every minute of it. Uh, I can't really remember much of it. Um, <laughs> shards. I have shards of memory, as I like to call them. And um, yeah, so it was. It was okay, you know. And I think it was good for me. I think music was good for me in in lots of ways. It helped me with overcoming the kind of kind of confidence issues or self esteem issues that I was. I'd kind of walked away from school with. No, I was something I was really good at, and and you know, and you know, and and I had respect from other people for me as a musician rather than for me as the the class comic or mm. or the one who does all the stupid, uh, nutty, crazy things that I used to do. That I'm not sure I really need to go into too much. <laughs> no problem. So help me fill in the gaps of where, so you were doing all this music stuff for a while and then you decided to go back to school. Can you talk yeah. to me about how that happened? I, I just think I got, I got at school, I left, I left school at 16 for about two or three years. I did this working for a lark living yep. and then from maybe from about 19, 20 onwards until I was about 35, I did this music thing. And then when I got to that about 35, I, I'd kind of, I'd kind of reach, it reached the end of being fun for me. I don't know again if I should be talking about this, but um, really, if you talk about sex and drugs and rock and roll, that's what it was. It was literally sex and drugs and rock and roll. Okay. But it was getting to the stage when we go into a studio and we'd spend a lot of money on studio time. And half of that time we'd spend drinking and, 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 um, consuming or smoking noxious substances for, for a long time, you know, and then when you listen and while you're doing it, it sounds absolutely fantastic. And at the end of it, you have hours and hours of tapes that you have to look, listen to. And while, while you're doing it, it's fab. But while, when you listen to it later on, it, it just was a cacophony, you know. And so I kind of I kind of had enough of that. And I just said, I put my guitar away one day after a Christmas break. And I put my guitar away. I said, that's enough of that. I, I want to do something different. I had a look around what my options were. And um, I got a job as a school caretaker. And as part of that, I, did, I went back and did my basic skills. Mm. Um, one day a week uh, at a college, and and what I diff what I found was that I w I was working with other adults who struggled at school, 
which said they, we all understood what we'd gone through. Not all were dyslexic, but and we had really good teachers. The, the teachers that we had were really good. And so um, over the course of that year, I just found that I had, I could learn. Whereas before when I left school, I just didn't think, you know, I, you know when I left school, the idea of writing stories was, you know, I, I couldn't write a line on a piece of paper when I left school, we know. So, um, so I was writing stories. I was learning how to type, you know, and learning how to type was, was, was a bit of assistive technology that really freed me mm-hmm. from, um, from the, the handwriting nightmare. And so at the end of that, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I was lucky enough to, get some funding from the diocese of Southwark. They paid me money. They gave me money. They put their trust in me mm. to go on a, what they call an access to teaching studies course. Okay. And, and basically what that is, it's a, you do, you do a number of sub- different subjects um, from psychology to maths, to English literature, to English language, all that kind of stuff. And uh, at the end of it, you come out with the, the, your O levels and your A levels and, and an automatic place into university. But um, at the time, when I first went along for the interview, they asked me to read some Shakespeare. Did I read Shakespeare? And I thought, no, I don't read Shakespeare. But I read this Doctor Who book. <laughs> Tell us about the Doctor Who book. And so there I was. And I, and I told them about the Doctor Who book and how much I enjoyed it. And they said, yeah, you can come on the course. I'm pretty sure that kind of wouldn't happen now. <laughs> you know, having worked in education, I know how difficult it is, the kind of hoops that people have to jump through now to get on a course. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, by the end of that, I thought, okay, now what? I'm going I'm to go to, I'm going to go to university. I thought, I'll go to university. And I was, I, I did a year of teaching studies and geography and I, I didn't, in a really, really posh university and I didn't like it there. So I came back to, I, I went to a different uni and I really liked it. And I got the assistive tech sol- software and, you know, the computer, my first computer. And it was, it just really made it, really made it fab. I really enjoyed maybe the first two years of my degree. I, I, I was really quite, I really enjoyed doing the field work. I really enjoyed doing the lab work. I really, you know, even, but, but again, the problem was here was that I would get things like, a's and a pluses for my for my for my um coursework because i had plenty of time to do it and then when it came to doing exams even with the extra time you know i would struggle to to get a d and i've I've never been able to do exams i just know and i believe me i've tried i've tried going to bed with tapes in my you know (laughs) tapes listening to tapes you know i've tried i believe me i've tried 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 different things and it just just exams aren't my thing you know so um yeah but you made it through what was oh yeah yeah i made it through and i I think what 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 kind of kept my interest was i volunteered so i did some volunteer because i i did some volunteering for what they called the east london connection Um, what that did what they did was they matched you up with schools around london where kids were from difficult backgrounds uh, and we mentored kids from difficult backgrounds mm-hmm. and we mentored kids who uh, were struggling at school for whatever different reason. And that kind of gave me this interest in um, working within inclusion, really. And so it became a logical step after I passed my degree to go and do another year, which I couldn't afford. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't afford <laughs> to do another year doing what they call a postgraduate certificate in education. Okay. Yeah in Bolton, which I really loved. I really, I, it was the best course I ever did. The, the only problem what was, was that I, I, when I applied for a London course, London Bay course where I lived and I didn't get on it. And so I had to go to Bolton. So I, I was, that's about 300 miles away. So I was going backwards to forwards from Bolton and trying oh. to keep a relationship going and trying to keep the course going. And then I, on, one day I met another guy from Bolton who was who didn't get into Bolton doing the course I was doing, and he was going to, to London to go and do the course I wanted to do, and he was doing the same thing backwards and forwards, you know. But um, as it happened, I really enjoyed 
there were, I had some, there was two really, really great teachers who I cannot remember their names, unfortunately. Uh, one was called Joe Todd, but names, names has never been one of my, my fortes. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it, but what it pointed out to me at the time was that when, when I was doing my teaching diploma, I did inclusion as my, my spe- that's all I did. And so for half a day, I do the inclusion course. And then for the other half a day, what they did was those on the inclusion were spread out amongst all the other courses. And we were supposed to trickle down our inclusion knowledge to, and that was the only, the only training on disability or, uh, that, that those students doing the other, the, the, the engineering, the English or whatever was, was, was trickle down. There was nothing specific to do with um, disability, you know, how you work with, how do you cope with work with students with different learning needs? You know, and that's still, is this still the thing today is that teachers during initial teacher training is that they don't receive any specific dyslexia or disability or neurodifference specific, uh, you know, how do I go about meeting the needs of all my students in the class? Mm. Yeah, how do I support a dyslexic learner? How do I support a neurodiverse? And, and the, the, the thing about that is that it's it, it, the things that the strategies and things you can do to enable a dyslexic learner to learn more effectively are good for all, not just, you know, not just dyslexic. But because you put the name dyslexic to it or disability, it becomes special education. Right. And once it becomes special education, believe me, there's nothing special about it. <laughs> it's an absolute, you know, it's not special at all. Okay, so yeah, so at the end of, so from 1988 to 95, yeah. I was in full-time, practically in full-time education all the time. Yeah. I, I say, God knows how, how I did it, but you know, <laughs> but it was kind of like, you know, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm sure that helped. Okay, yeah. so the, you, that's great. So you did that, and then what happened after graduation? I, um, I went into, te- I became a teacher. Yeah. So in, in, in the UK, when you become a teacher to begin with, very few, very few uh, graduate teachers walk into a full-time job. So what you have to do is you have to work on an hourly basis. So for about a year and a half, I worked on an hourly basis in five or six different colleges. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I do three or four hours in one college, then I go and do three or four hours in another. And okay, that, that's fine. But trying to, trying to work out how each, each college had a different way of recording the hours you did, they had a different form for filling in that you had to fill out to get paid, you know, and it was, that was, that was the nightmare. The teaching, I loved the teaching. It was really, you know, really good. You know, I, I worked in one community college in a, in kind of like a satellite unit working with um, students with, uh, with learning difficulties and disabilities. And I really, I really, I really liked that. It was, it was kind of, um, it, I was given free reign to do what I did. So one of the things that I did was that most of the time in that community learning situation, the learning just go takes place in the classroom. And so I thought this really needs to change. So um, I got, I got somebody, in to support me from community education and what we did was we organized with the students we organized places to visit so around london we went to various places um the fire brigade or the the, the river or whatever but it was all driven by the students the students did the organization you know they decided where they wanted to go we kind of said okay which way do you want to go and so they were learning mm-hmm. and learning by doing rather than learning by sitting there going oh my god is not you know <laughs> so and and it was it was it was it was just another dyslexic strength and i'll tell you a story we we two stories <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry if I'm rattling on too much. No, it's perfect. Keep rattling. One, one, one is that um, one time we, 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 we asked the students if they wanted to go into a pub. Now, they're all over 18, and most of them, in fact, none of them have gone into a pub. So we went into a pub, and it wasn't about buying them a drink. It was about, you know, this is what a pub looks like on the inside, and you know, this is what you can do in a pub, you know. And if they wanted to go out later on and go into a pub or whatever, or organise a drink amongst themselves, a thing that most of them have never done, 
And, and you know, so we sat there and we had a drink. Most of them had soft drinks. It wasn't about getting pissed or anything like that. <laughs> but about a week later, the parents of one of them, and he was, he must have been in his 40s, this guy, and he had, uh, he was, he had a learning disability. And the parents came in and he said, what have you done to my son? Normally he comes home and he sits in his room and he's quite happy. Last week he came downstairs and he asked his dad to take him to the pub. <laughs> they're talking like it was a bad thing, you know, <laughs> thinking, you know, what do you want? Do you want your son just to be living in, in a bedroom all your life, you know? And, right. You know, so, you know. And then there was another time they wanted to go to a rent restaurant. None of them had ever been to a restaurant. So we took this, to the, took them to a restaurant. We went out to a restaurant and, and they, again, they organised everything. And so I'm getting them all settled down and I'm making sure everything's all right. And then I finally get my chance to sit down in front of my meal and I pick up this, this stuff and I'm shaking it all on it, thinking it's salt. And I realised you know, I've just been, I just poured sugar all over my, <laughs> all over my food. Uh, <laughs> Because I was, you know, it was really, you know, I loved the job, but it was just so stressful. So many different people's needs to try and meet and try to, you know, but uh, luckily enough, the people at the restaurant, you know, they said, oh, we'll give you another one. Like, <laughs> so many, so many, so many stories from teaching that, that I'm, I'm, I must, uh, another one was there, uh, one of the colleges, they had a, a uh, like a restaurant there that was run by the students. Okay. And so... Um, I always had students working in there, so I would go in there and get my lunch, as you know, to talk to them. You know, is everything okay and stuff? And um, one day, one of the students, she was, she really was keen, and she she was walking. You know, they had it, had you work, walk in the restaurant. It's really quick and everything. So she was working extra quick, and she came up to me with my spaghetti bolognese, and she stopped suddenly. And then the next thing I knew, I had a, I had a. I had a lateral sketch. It just slid off the plate onto my <laughs> And all day long, I was smelling of spaghetti bolognese. It was, you couldn't get the smell off me. But, but, that's, that's, that, but I really enjoyed those things. It was, it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was really fab. I really enjoyed it. Teaching. I love it. No, I yeah. totally ramble away. Those, those stories are wonderful. Yeah. So talk to me you were teaching for a while and then in 2000 you got a job as manager for dyslexic support at a college yeah. i i had never even like knew this was a position so i was very excited to hear about that so can you talk to me about what it entailed and more about it well okay well um i saw this job and it was a new new job the college hadn't really used done this kind of job along and so i went along and to my surprise i actually got the job i couldn't believe it and <laughs> um, when I went there, basically what, 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 what was happening for dyslexia support across all three sites was there was, there was no main office. There was no office where uh, dyslexic teachers could go to work with students. So what was happening was that the, the, the dyslexic teacher would make an appointment to see a, a dyslexic pupil in a particular room at a particular time for an hour. And you, you try to work it so that that room would be empty, which is generally a classroom. But, it, you know, so dyslexia support really was kind of like really ad hoc. There was no really organized, there's no real organization. Uh, it kind of sent the wrong messages to, to, um, so I, one of, one of my jobs, one, I, I thought one of my jobs was, okay, really what we need to do is that we really need to have an office that's our office, that we can have meetings that we can, that I can work to, that, you know, if we have to talk to somebody, a student about a problem, they're not doing it in a classroom with people going past, they're doing it in a kind of, you know, a safe and secure environment. So, um, and, and also I got in the various satellite colleges, I managed to, you know, claw my way through, claw, claw my way through the, 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 the processes to, to get, every dyslexic teacher somewhere to work from on a regular basis. Mm. So that was, that was, that was, that was cool. The other thing was that of course was, was working with the students. So that would include anything from uh, screening and assessment to uh, giving them an hour a week um, specific for them to do dyslexia support with them. Um, so we'd look at ways to enable them from my perspective, it's all about, it's all about trying to give students the tools, enable them to develop a toolbox that enable the things that work for them that they can use 
uh, to work, become more effective as learners and, and hopefully to pass their courses. So that was the other part of it. And, and, then, and then the other, the other kind of bit that I saw as necessary was I would, I would go out into the, I would go out into the various staff rooms and I would talk to members of staff and I would let them know that I was here. And, you know, to, I'd say things like, you know, if I, I'm, 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 I'm like Quasimodo, you know, swinging from the bell, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying Desmeraldo, I'm just saying dyslexia, dyslexia, it's fab dyslexia. I'm dyslexic. I'm really positive about being dyslexic and about the positives that you get with it. Like, you know, and so, um, what, what, then occurred to me was that many of the staff I was talking to were saying, look, I think I might be, or I am dyslexic, but I've not told, I've not told my, my manager, I've not told any members of staff. It's something that I've kept for my, to myself. And for most of them, it was about, um, it would damage my career, uh, uh, or, um, you know, uh, it would, their, their, their promotional prospects and such. But that was a concern that uh, managers might, you know, look at them in a kind of negative way. Because way back in 2000, not that far away, but <laughs> way back then, dyslexia was, you know, it, you know, it's not much more improved, but it was still kind of very quite negative. So I had this idea about, okay, I'll run some surgeries. And, and what, I, what that meant was that I would spend, I'd put some time in where, uh, and I'd make sure everyone knew, where staff would know where I was and they could come along and we could have discreet discussions. Now, it took me a while to get the management to agree to it, but they agreed to it. Yeah. And, um, and to do that, I had to get funding. So I wrote this project bit. I said to the, I said to the, the, the principal okay this is what i want to try and do and she basically said okay run away and do it and now i don't think she actually believed that i would get the funding but you know i got the funding and it was surprising how quickly senior management want to get on board when they know you've got funding for a project <laughs> you know it was like you know one per one minute nobody wants to talk to you and the next minute everybody's your best friend <laughs> so i ended up with this this team of senior management and me you know, and trying to trying to trying to run this project, which was a bit of a nightmare. But so what 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 we did was what came forward from the meetings was that all these things about teachers not feeling secure. So the idea of the project was to provide opportunities for t for teaching staff and other staff to have screenings, and for the ones that got positive. Uh, for as being dyslexic, we would be able to provide. Um, assessments for and then from the assessments we could look at things i don't we have things something called access to work in the uk and what you can do with access to work is you can apply for funding to buy software and at the time you could buy a computer as well to help you with with your work and we also looked at dyslexia friendly training for the staff so and 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 it was a three-month project all in all, we we assessed. I, I think we screened about four or five hundred members of staff. Wow. <laughs> we assessed twenty. We had an original target of eight, and we assessed twenty three. Wow. <laughs> and uh, as being dyslexic. Yeah. And um, and it was a really really successful project. Apart from at the end of the project members of staff, a lot of members of staff who got involved still didn't want management, mm. you know, and, and it just, well, it says, it just, it says to me that this dyslexia thing is, is a real barrier. There are societal barriers Definitely. out there, but there are also barriers that we impose on ourselves. And I completely understand, you know, if you go through school and you're dyslexic and you're struggling with your, with the kind of, the way you're being taught doesn't enable you to learn effectively. But as a kid, what you think, what you come over is what come, what you what you absorb through osmosis from your teachers is that you are stupid, you can't spell, you can't write, you know. And that's and um, so when when we leave school, you know, we have we have all that kind of that stuff on our on our back, and it affects our self esteem, it affects our self confidence, and some of some dyslexics, you know, live with. Uh, mental health issues for the rest of their lives over it. Mm. You know, so, uh, so um, it, when I got to the end of that project, 
which was maybe 2006, so yeah, and seven, something like that. I, I kind of, I'd kind of got to this. I, I'd kind of been thinking. I'd been looking. I've been when I first was assessed, I would have believed the medical model. I'm disabled. This is what the medical model tells me. I'm disabled. Mm-hmm. I would have believed that. But after I'd done that project, I kind of started. It kind of got me thinking about how can we, how can we, how can we change that kind of medical model thing, which I feel, I feel. The medical model basically says we're broken. We don't work effectively. Well, something wrong with us. We need to be cured. We need to have. We need to be. Um, uh, there's a word that I never remember. <laughs> remediated. Remedi- we need to be remediated. We need to be taken away from the class and put in another class by ourselves with an untrained person, generally. And and and, and we will go slowly with you. And 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 you know. What's that going to do for some? What does it? What, what does? How does telling a, a nine-year-old child and their parents that they've got slow processing? Mm. What does that? Where's where's? You, what does that say to a child about about their future in, in education? How does that? How does that? It mentions the medical model way of doing it. Mentions nothing about the positives. It just says, you know, this is the. We think that there is an issue with slow processing. So that means you process slowly, blah, blah, blah. What I don't tell you that is that there are, there are other, other ways. There are other ways that, that are, it may be not slow processing. It may be the fact that dyslexics tend to be big picture thinkers and we tend to over-process information. And I certainly feel I do that. So because we're over-processing information, it takes us longer to do mm. the thing. But also there's the idea that we're, if, 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 if we're spending a long time trying to do a task such as a reading task from a page of a book, that's going to take us a longer time than if we were to say, okay, this particular person can't actually, is really having trouble with reading. Maybe we need to look at a different way of addressing the reading issue. Maybe we need, maybe this particular person would do better with audio books or maybe we would, you know, maybe we need to just give a handout in in a different font in a different size with a different color piece of paper and that might enable that particular particular student to 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 overcome the barrier that the education basically our education system is dyslexia unfriendly it's disability mm. unfriendly and that's that's where the that's where the problem is for for dyslexics i i don't see dyslexia as a disability at all i i see society we just think differently you know, that's that's the thing. We just work things out differently. You know, we don't we don't do logical. We do lateral. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We we Absolutely. we, we make yep. leaps of we make leaps. Now we can still get we can still get a wrong answer. And believe me, we can get some really way out there wrong answers. But <laughs> at times we can get some really fab, brilliant answers, and that's why we're great entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Because we can you know, and and with the logical way of thinking. You can still get the wrong bloody answer. You know, it's just, you know, it's just more steps to it. You know, I, I just see it as a difference, and that's why I kind of see it as a difference. And I think my inclusion training sort of enabled me to start thinking. From from my inclusion training, we look at models of disability, and we look at a medical model, we look at a social model, which is I've, I've taken and moved it to dyslexia, and we, and we look at a charity model. And uh, the charity model says, look at them they're poor, they're ill, we must help them. Rather than saying to them, okay, we need to be looking at ways to empower a person so mm-hmm. they don't need to go and use the food bank, rather than just saying, you need our help, you know, pat us on the head. And then there's the medical model that says, there's something wrong with you, you're broken, we must fix you. You must take medication. And then there's a social model that says, society that disables. and nine out of ten times society disables you know with disability you can see you know he's expecting somebody in a wheelchair to climb stairs or 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 to or to travel on on a, on a bus when there's no accessibility kind of thing and it's the same thing with what happens with within schools is because our teachers are not trained to teach us effectively because the, the kind of assessments that are used and the materials that are used are dyslexia are unfriendly we don't thrive mm. Yeah, and because I can, absolutely, I can really relate that. to this. Yeah, when I was in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher highly recommended to my parents that I get tested for dyslexia, and I was adamantly against this because it was social suicide to me. Hmm. 
And, uh, and so I fought it and I didn't get tested until much later. Um, but which ultimately probably would have helped me, but because yeah, you don't know of, that. No, you don't I don't. That. You but, don't know but, that. <laughs> but what I think is so interesting about it is I was so against it because of the social piece of it. And mm. I was so worried about how it would affect me socially that I did not want to be labeled. Yeah. So talk to me about um, the organization that you founded, Dyslexic Pathways. Can you talk Dyslexic to me about kick, yeah. yeah. Talk to me about that. Okay. Well, I, 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 I kind of had enough. I kind of got to a stage where I'd had enough of teaching. I wanted to do, I think my life goes in kind of, what happens is it kind of goes in, in I have a, enough of one thing, so I just say, okay, I'll put it down and I'll do something else. It's just me. <laughs> so I'm, I, 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 um, I, I moved from London to Scotland. Part of it was to look after my mum. And um, when, I, when I first moved up, um, I went back to music. My, you know, I started playing in Edinburgh and stuff. And then it kind of got to the time where I was starting to look for you know, here I, you know, I'd been working within within education from '95 and, until 2007, working in colleges. And so I thought, I'll tell you, what, I'll go and have a look in colleges to see if I can just get some hourly paid work. And everywhere you went, every college I went to, uh, there was just nothing. There was no, I couldn't, I couldn't get an hour hours work cleaning the toilet as far as I could see. Um, <laughs> and then one 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 interview, one of the members of staff says, "Well, you don't understand the Scottish way." Oh. You know, and I thought to myself, okay, well, really, that's, I mean, it's just to me, I'm never going to get a teaching job in this way. That's, that's kind of, what they were really saying was, I'm tell, I'm open about being dyslexic. You know, um, I think maybe what they're trying to say is, uh, you know, you're, you're dyslexic. Maybe we don't think dys dyslexics can do teaching. No matter, you know, and, and so, and, and also while I was doing that, I was going around to various other places and talking to people. Uh, uh, just people I was meeting, uh, young people and uh, older people uh, uh, who, who were also dyslexic. And what was coming over was that they felt that there was nowhere for them to go. Mm. There was nothing, there was no, no support out there for them that was available. So um, uh, then that kind of the idea of starting up a business happened. Uh, it just so happens that I do not like business as a business the way it works. I'm not into, I, I don't, and so I had to figure out a way I could do business that wouldn't be business. Mm. And also that wouldn't be charity because I didn't want to be a charity. Yeah. And then so I discovered social enterprise. And so many people, what social enterprise is means that you can be an organization. So we're an organization. We're a company limited by guarantee, but we must have social aims and the money that we make, most of the money that we make, half of money that goes for wages and stuff like that, has to go into the business. Mm. So it's an ethical way of doing business. And I felt that that was, that was a way forward. It, it, it just so happens that it's probably the worst way to go forward. But at the time, <laughs> I didn't know, you know, um, mainly because for funding reasons, it's, it's difficult when you're a social enterprise, particularly a kick community interest company. So uh, I went to... Uh, um, first port and I managed to win an award for God knows what um, <laughs> I had to write a business plan and, and, and finances and all that and um, they gave me £12,500 and said go away and start your business and that was really good because they gave me the year a year of uh, safety, security but it also helped me buy a car, which in Scotland, because of the distances, you need to have a car to to, to travel. As it, as if you think about it, at the time, so, yeah, so I, I got this award and I started up the company. And the first kind of thing that I did was I started working in universities. So here's where the car comes in. I was working in Edinburgh, which is near the borders, and then in Dundee, which is right up the other side. of. So I was working in two different universities and uh, doing support, dyslexia support there. And I was also doing things like um, working with the fire brigade. So, for example, I had a, a fireman who was trying to get um, promotion and he'd take promotion, promotional exams and he wasn't doing so well. Somebody mentioned he might be dyslexic and they got in contact with me I provided him with a, an assessment 
I looked at ways to enable him to do work, provide, you know, look, work better in exams and also gave training to the fire brigade as well, how to do that. And the guy managed to, you know, he managed to get, because he was, he knew his job. They knew he knew his job. He just couldn't, couldn't do the exam thing. And I, I, you know, I totally understand why that is, but we managed to get through his exams and he managed to get his promotion, you know, so, so, you know, so that was, that was cool. And um, so then, um, 2014, I had an idea, another idea. I'd got my, I'd got, uh, by then I'd got some directors on board, some really fab directors, three or four directors. Mm-hmm. Carolyn Crookshank Gray was one. She was, she was a real fab supporter of, of mine. I met her in five, in five council, just an off chance meeting. And, and she got on board straight away and she was really, you know, really new what she was talking about and really supportive. It gave me a kick up my backside when I needed one. <laughs> Those yeah. are the best types of people. <laughs> yeah, you know, and my wife is the same. She, you know, she, and so I had this idea about um, all the kind of dyslexia things that go on generally say, uh, it's generally about literacy. You know, mm-hmm. come along and we'll teach you how to read and write, you know, and, and for, but for most people, they don't, you know, a lot of people don't want to go, you know, they've, they've done the literacy thing and they've done the numeracy thing, you know, and they, they don't, want, don't want to get involved. And, and a lot of dyslexics are isolated because of their dyslexic, you know, 10%. Yep. So, you know, and because we're, it's a hidden, about hidden abilities, you don't know, you know, you could be passing by, by this other dyslexic and not know it, you know. Yeah, for sure. And, and, um, so uh, the idea was, I did put this thing to do with unique dyslexic, get creative. And the idea for that was to go out into the community. So we, we, um, and we did these creative workshops. So we did a music one. Uh, we did a couple of things with, with, with upscaling, up, up, upscaling. No, that's not right. It was taking old bits of furniture and making them into fab so that people could design fab new bits of furniture oh, um, we, did, yeah. we did one with visual art and it was just about and the idea was people the idea was to get people together through the creative thing mm. get people to have together so they could have conversations so that they could meet other dyslexics so that they could find out that they, they're not alone now we also know that creative things are good for confidence and all that kind of stuff you know and and so I, we did all these things i managed to find some money from the lottery. I got about 10,000 pounds from the lottery for that. And uh, about 3,000 pounds from various other sources. And somebody, an unknown benefactor sent me a check for a thousand pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> from, from nowhere, I've no idea, never known. <laughs> and so over the course of that year, we ran five workshops all over the place. 50 people came along in all, nothing but positive feedback. That's great. Um, then we, then we, we ran, um, so as well as on top of the workshops, other, I, I, I've set up the social media and I was getting people involved from all other artists and creative people involved, trying to get them involved. So yeah. people were sending me their artwork. People were telling me what they were doing. And so I had all this artwork. I had all this stuff that people had been done. And I thought, what we, how are we going to tell the story? So we got together and put and, and ran, um, a celebration of creativity oh, wow. so, um, in, in Glenrothes. So, and so um, we got all this artwork and we got all this stuff that people, photographs of, so I did nothing but take photographs the whole year of what people were doing and got <laughs> people to come along and t- talk about what was happening. I got the, like the poet laureate of um, one of the cities in London. In, in, she's just dyslexic. Makar, Makar. Uh, I'm trying to think of her name. I'm so terrible. My, my names is one of my <laughs> my problems. No worries. She's the poet Makar of Sterling, and she came along and she she's dyslexic and she's quite you know quite up there with like you know being being kind of like you know positive about being dyslexic. I got um, uh, uh, a, a Scottish harp player who who was also dyslexic. <laughs> uh, I got the uh, Professor Ross Coover came along and he's a really, he's, he's an ace guy. He's another um, social model dyslexia kind of, and he came along and was a keynote speaker. And I got this really 
I think it's kind of like the mayor, but it's not the mayor. He came along with his big chain and gold chain and, you know, and he was, and um, I'm trying to think what he was, but he's something to do with the Fife, kind of like the mayor of Fife. Okay. And he came along and, uh, you know, and he was really kind of interested in, and stuff. And so you had this big celebration. Yeah, it was a big celebration. And uh, about 60, 70 people came along. Wow. Um, we organised, lots of people came from various organisations from central Scotland. Some people dropped in for 10, 20 minutes. Some people stayed for a bit longer, you know. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a, a, really, a really good day. All in all. Yeah, so in between that, though, I had my first heart attack. So, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> so there, and there I was with, I think it must have been about six months into it, I had my first heart attack. And, and I thought, I've got, I can't not do anything. I've got to. So I managed to keep it. I mean, it was, I think it was good for me all in all. You know, I really should have taken two months off. And I thought, I've got all this lottery money and the lottery money saying you've got to have it spent by then. And I've got all these people wanting to rely on me and... For me, work is uh, work is. I, if I'd have sat around doing nothing, it would. I would have just faded away, and uh, you know. So it was really, really, really positive, you know. And that that was in two. That took me up to two thousand and fifteen. So after that, I was. I, I've been for a long time. I've been trying to figure out how am I going to grow the. And this is where we've gone so far. And how am I going to? How am I going to grow the? What am I going to do that's different? No, so and and to carry on doing what I'm doing, mm. uh, I lost uh, Caroline uh, herself became ill, and her, my husband became ill, so she can't work for us anymore. She's mm. been really badly missed, and um, you know the other director, one of my other directors, her daughter is has uh, got sensory perception disorder, and now she's got older, she's got a lot more, uh, she's required a lot more care and a lot more kind of attention. We actually look after her daughter. Mm. <laughs> 10 days a month, 10 or 12 days a month. She's like, they're like, it's Anne's nieces and great nieces, but they're like our family. You know, Layla, Layla, she's eight now. You know, she, she still comes and stays with us. And actually the other, her other daughter, uh, Charmaine, she's having a child now. So we've got, we've got another child coming. <laughs> I love how it's become a community. And yeah, well, yeah, well, in our, in our house, is 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 our road, right? On that side is Anne's mother's, the next road down. On the next road up is where, where Layla and Leslie and Charmaine are living. So They're we're very close. Yeah, yeah very quite close. Yeah. So, so uh, I have a question for you, my last question for you. Um, <laughs> asking for some advice. I'm wondering what your advice is for either. Can, can, I, can I just mention yeah. about the T-shirt thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I, uh, one, I, I kind of, um, a strand that's run through my dyslexia stuff is all about isolation. It's all about uh, how, how the, we, I don't see that we have a community. The way, because of the way dyslexia is 10%, it's very diffuse, diffuse. It's all over the place. And also from the unique thing, you know, they were all saying this. This is the first time I've sat in a room and talked about being dyslexic to anybody. This is the first time I've actually sat there and talked to another, knowingly, I talked about another dyslexic. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, maybe we'll try t shirts. Maybe that would be a way. It's probably not a good way of doing it, but I thought, well, you know, how else am I going to do it? So I've been, I'm not a designer, but I've been designing these t shirts to try and, to try and sell, not very successfully, a little bit. Half the problem is my marketing skills. Yeah, you know, I'm not very good. I know, I'm not a designer, so I don't know. There's one of my. Can you see it? it uh, I am dyslexic. I can't see the bottom part. What's it say after that? No, dyslexia is a difference that reflects diversity. Viva la difference. And so, I am dyslexic is the is the kind of. Uh, no, I don't know. There's another guy who's made a film with the same kind of thing, but I'm, I put the I put the smiley on it, and I put the added the viva la difference to it, and I added that bit to it. So. <laughs> it might have been great minds thinking alike. And so oh, we've actually got an online shop, but it's really dyslexia unfriendly and that I'm trying to trying to do better. But if someone was to try wanting to find it, how would they where would they find yeah, it? Yeah, that's a good that's a good one, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you if you go onto my um if you if you want I can send you links to my blog, but it's yeah, all I on will put it below all on sure. social media mm -hmm. and stuff. Now people come and say they want the, the basic problem I think is the the website that I'm having to use or the company that I'm having to use, not through choice. It's just through 
we've got no choice. We've got that's the only way to do it. We can't afford to buy a big stock of things, mm-hmm. so we have to do it this way. Um, and and the shop itself is dyslexia run friendly. So I I put together a design for a dyslexia friendly online shop. Yeah. And the idea is to the idea then with that is to enable now if you're dyslexic and want something that you need to sell, you could you could put it on there and we could support you oh, by enabling cool. you to put it and uh, making it dyslexia friendly. Yeah. You know, so yeah. It's, 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 35% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic. So it might be a way where those entrepreneurial dyslexics who, who don't like to do the things like web or don't maybe like to do the things to do with the money and really struggle with the forms who can get support to bring this stuff to market. It's kind of like, I love that idea. Yeah. It's That's a good great. idea. It's, it's finding the funding. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. I've interrupted your kind no of problem at all. I'm glad that you said that. Completely ruined really your day. <laughs> <laughs> completely. Absolutely. Totally. You've got, you've got to sort out all this mess from me going, uh, 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 uh. No problem at all. Um, no, and we'll definitely put the link below so um, for people listening to, to get one of those T-shirts. Um, but um, my question is about advice, and I'm um, wondering what your advice would be for either a parent who is watching their child struggle with their dyslexia or a person, um, that, whether that be an adult or a child struggling with their dyslexia. Yeah. Uh, for, for children, I would say school is a dyslexia-unfriendly place. Mm. School that makes it a stressful place. It means it means it's very hard work for them. Um, you know, they could be target of a bully. They could be, you know, so they're and they're trying. They most of the time, hopefully, they're trying really hard to do what it is they need to do. And and um, so I think. One of the suggestions, one of the one of the things that I would say to parents is that you know find things that your child is good at doing or wants to try. You know, make sure there's plenty of time to play to relax, so that they're not coming in from school and then you know half an hour after they've had dinner, let's do spelling or something like that, because. Yeah. You know, the brain by then, you know, all, with with all the stress and all the anxiety of school, you know, you need to try and make safe home a safer place, but you also need to make it a place where, you know, where where you can where where a, where a child can can have fun and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not. You know, it's. I think. You know. Do you want your child to have? I think all everybody wants their parent. Their, every child, every parent wants their the child to get really good grades, but mm-hmm. not at the expense of the of the of driving your child nuts or, or, you know, affecting their mental health or their self, their self-esteem. Trying to do their best for their children. But, you know, and they, you know, they, I think what gets forgotten is, you know, that, that child is in school and the kind of battles they face in school and the kind of stress and anxiety they go through at school, they need to have, they need to have that downtime. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And then, and then the other bit of advice is, Little and often. So if you're gonna if you are gonna do half an hour's homework with your child or if you're an adult at, at university or whatever, little and often. So um and work with your dyslexic mind, work with your dyslexic memory, work with your dyslexic um recall. So I would say little and often. <laughs> so and, and and you know, so when I work with my dyslexic students, I say let's try Two two hour sessions, the two hour sessions with three or four breaks in between, mm-hmm. rather than trying to do two sessions all in a row. Um, yeah. You know, so so that's that's the other thing is little and often is always SWAT. Well, I call it SWAT. Study without tears. Uh, Again, <laughs> with a child, you know, what the last thing you want to do is push your child to tears. Absolutely, and, and that you know, that can happen. SWAT. I like it. <laughs> yeah, study without tears. <laughs> Little and often. I, I wish it was like study without trying, but unfortunately, <laughs> it, it is very trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me sure. today. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and thanks again. That's no problem. And stay online. I know I'm there. I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm going to be giving away one of Steve's awesome dyslexia t-shirts to the first person who emails me at dyslexiaisoursuperpower at gmail.com. Again, that's dyslexiaisoursuperpower, all one word, at gmail.com. So the first person will win one of his t-shirts, and um, the link will also be below so that you can check it out and purchase one. Thanks for listening to the Dyslexia is Our Superpower podcast. And we'd love to hear from you with comments and questions, so please feel free to get in touch. You can email us at dyslexiaisoursuperpower at gmail.com. That's dyslexiaisoursuperpower, all one word, at gmail.com. And don't forget to spread the word by sharing us on social media.